So, I, I, am, I am sporting the uh, element attire today, because the softball attire. Uh, not because my team is winning, uh, but because the, the guys' team is winning. I figure if I you know, talked about it, they might give me a shirt when they win. Maybe not. So I, I don't know. Uh, if you were someone who last week actually came to the first service at 8.15 that we did last week, thank you, because we totally needed the room and the other services, so thanks. If you liked the white curtains last week and you're like, oh, now it's all black curtains again, I feel so depressed. Uh, the white curtains will be back in about six or seven weeks, so. Uh, if you are new here, you need a Bible, uh, there's Bibles in the back, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There's sermon notes on all the communion tables around the room if you want uh, sermon notes on anything. So I talk really fast, so apparently it's, yeah. So uh, the, the young, single, unmarried group, that's like a mouthful, uh, they, they are meeting this week. I actually had a couple of people ask me about that, and they, said, and they said, well, how come there's not one for like older singles or unmarrieds and stuff? Well, it's because we had somebody volunteer to actually run these groups. So, you know, if you're like, why don't we have one? Well, you know what? Step up and volunteer, and then we can have one. So there you go. Uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> uh, the last thing I want to tell you guys is about this. Uh, we just did something this week, came to our attention. It's pretty cool. It's called uh, the Perinatal Services in Santa Maria. What it is, uh, the Good Samaritan Shelter has a program, and their, their objective is to deliver drug-free babies and assist in the healing process of women and their children who have been infected by substance abuse. So they, they have this home, and in this home, there's a bunch of different rooms, and this is one of them that started like this, and so we adopted one of these rooms. And so this is what it looks like now. Okay. So we went and redid it, put some blinds in. Uh, uh, usually a mom and, and a kid or two comes and they actually live in this place as they go through this program. So uh, if you guys want to be involved in, in more of this that we're doing in future things, we have an email address right here. It's called service at ourelement.org. Send the email there, and Donna, the lady who's kind of running this for us, will get back in touch with you. Outside in, in the backyard of this house, they, they have a jungle gym playground kind of thing they haven't put together yet. And so if you would like to help them put that together, send an uh, email there. It's a, I guess it's a big monstrosity kind of thing, so it's going to be like a lot of putting together. So if you have time and you want to help, all that needs to be done by the 18th because that's when all the ladies are moving in. So if you would like to help out, send an email there, uh, talk to Donna, and she'll get you plugged in with Pete, who's overseeing the project outside, and then we will do some good stuff in our community. You guys with me? Yes. yes. Good. All right, why don't you guys stand with me, reading God's Word. It says, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, and it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools uh, despise wisdom and discipline. Let's pray. Father, I ask that this morning we'd be a people who live in wisdom and that we would not despise the discipline when you bring it into our lives. We'd understand how you take everything to move us to the people you call us to be. So help us to be those who love you and glorify you with our lives by, by practically living out the things that you call us to. Amen. Have a seat. So if you have a Bible, open to Ephesians chapter 5. That's where we're at today. I promise you the book of Ephesians, it is in your Bible. You know, you got like the Gospels and Acts and then Romans, 1st and Corinthians and then God's Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Just... Okay, we're going to jump right in. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. We're going to 14 through 21. I'm going to read it and then we're going to talk about it. 
That says this, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, today's text is completely practical, completely practical. Uh, we all live lives. Uh, we, get to, we go to bed at night. We get up in the morning, and in the middle of that, uh, we have relationships. We make decisions. We work our jobs. We involve ourselves in other people's lives. But for what purpose? Why do we do what we do? Paul says we should wake up because some people have no idea why they do what they do. It's not that people are stupid. It's just that they're just unaware. Soren Kierkegaard actually writes that people should define life forward and live it backwards. Now, what that means is that you know your goal, and then you figure out how to live that from where you are today. And the goal of Scripture is always to be close to Jesus, always to be close to Jesus. Uh, sometimes I talk to kids who you know, like used to be in high school, and they're growing up, and, and they're getting really bad grades where they're at, and I, and I say, you know, well, what's your goal? And they say, well, I want to play pro ball. Whether that's basketball, football, you know, what else? Baseball, all the, you know, the balls, you know. What, and, and I'm like, do you know where most people get picked up to play pro ball from? And they say, college! Exactly! How do you get to college if you, like, got Fs? You're going to be a tough crowd this morning. Okay, so, I, when I, sometimes when I talk to, to married couples who come in for marriage counseling, I will say, what is your goal? What, what do you want to see? And, you know, they said, we want this. I said, okay, so we'll work towards that goal. We put our lives together in wise and not foolish ways. Again, the goal of Scripture, when you look through it front to back, is to be close to Jesus. It is why Scripture says that we are to hate sin because sin separates us from Jesus. And so knowing that, we want to live lives that reflect wisdom. So Paul gives a motive. In verse 16, he says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Our world, full of evil. Some people want to argue about this fact, but just look at what's going on around us. The way people treat each other, the way people conduct their lives, the way we spend our money, the way husbands and wives treat each other, the way parents parent or fail to parent their kids. There is much evil in our world. There's a lot that is said that shouldn't be said. There's a lot that's done that should not be done. And if we do not realize that certain things are wrong, we will just assume that, oh, it's just the way it is and it's normal. And it's not normal. It's not normal. It may be the way the world operates, but it's not the way the world should operate. All the way back in verse 3, Paul says we get rid of certain types of things in our lives because they are improper for God's holy people. And when you get rid of these, it doesn't mean that you're better than somebody else, that now you get to be self-righteous or look down on other people. It simply means that we are to live different lives. Uh, the word holiness in Scripture, in its most simplest sense, it means different. When the scriptures call God holy, in large part it means that he is different than you and I. God just calls us as people to be holy, so he calls us to be different as well. In a good way. Not like, oh, well, they're different. But, you know, in, in a good way, we're called to be different. And Christians and non-Christians, they will eat food, they will have sex, they will spend money, some will drink alcohol, some will have friendships, work jobs. But how God's people conduct themselves in life is to be different because God calls us to be different and we are in relationship with God. This is why I tell you, Christianity is not a philosophical system or a world religion. It is relationship. It is you and Jesus doing life together. And in that, that means there is no sacred versus secular. 
Everything belongs to God. Everything. You know, and because the world has a lot of evil, if we don't discern with some wisdom, we will start to float downstream like everybody else. And we are not called to float downstream like everybody else. So Paul says, your goal, always get close to Jesus. And in verse 17, he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So the goal, close to Jesus. What's the goal? Be close to Jesus. Okay. The problem is our folly. It, it is our sin, the things that we get involved with. So the motivation comes out of not wanting to end up like the rest of the world. And then the way out is asking, so what does God want for my life? What does God want? You and I, we usually start with the premise when we go and talk to God. It's like, what do I want? God, give me this, please. I, I would like this thing. And no, that's not how it works. We're to be people who say, God, what do you want? It starts with the assumption that God is good and loving and that we would choose for ourselves what God would choose for us if we were as loving and as good as God is. We trust that everything that God has for us is in our best interest. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen like a five-year-old around a real lawnmower. And it's five-year-olds around real lawnmowers, it's like, oh, worrying blade. It'd be so fun to stick my hand into it, right? And most parents, if you're a good parent, you're like, no, get away from the lawnmower. Whack on the bottom. Get away from the lawnmower. Ah, you know, and they run away. Kids don't understand why parents say no. Now, when you get older and you become a parent yourself, you probably say no a lot more often than you ever thought you would. Why? Because you're learning to be a good parent. Sometimes good parents say no. We must believe that God is good and right, even when we don't understand what is going on, and we don't fully understand. Lots of people get confused by this whole idea of God's will. What is God's will? In a general sense, I'll tell you, God's will is repent of your sin, you trust Jesus, read your Bible, pray, confess to other people around you, grow in wisdom and understanding, love your spouse, love your kids, that means you raise them and train them up, you work a job, you work hard. That, God's general will is very clear. It is very clear. And if you have this whole idea of God's general will and you're beginning to live that out, certain decisions in your life will become easier. Should you marry this person or not? Are you, are you moving in the same direction? Should you buy this car or not? Should you buy this house or not? Should you go to this college or not? What major should you choose? And if scripture, prayer, and counsel all go together and they're in place, right decision-making becomes a little bit easier. So think of your life so far this year, 2010. Don't answer out loud, just kind of in your own head because... People might freak out by some of your answers. Okay, so far this year, as far as it's been possible, have you spent your money like God wants you to spend your money this year? Have you loved others the way God has wanted you to love other people this year? Have you spent time with God the way God would want you to spend time with Him this year? In John 17, 4, Jesus says to the Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. You know, Jesus, he's never frantic in any of the stuff he does. He's always moving forward, always moving to the place in wisdom where God is calling him to because he knows the goal. Me, honestly, this sounds so foreign to me sometimes because I'm always hectic. I'm always running around and doing something. Everything in my life feels like it's half done. I finally finished writing my book last year, and now it's half done between who's editing it and what publisher we're trying to send it off to and all this stuff. And I'm like, half done. My house is always half done. My life feels like it's always half done. It's like if I bake a cake, it's always half done. I put this is, and it, okay, maybe not, okay. I, I, and then I just feel like I am so busy. How must it have been for Jesus to look at the Father and say, done, done. 30 years, Jesus, you know, works a blue-collar job. Three years, he does public ministry, and he got all of it done. In three years, he fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. Three years atones for the sin of the world, and that's huge. 
because we're wicked people. You know? And on the cross in John 19.30, Jesus says, It is finished. Did my job. Done. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Did Jesus take a day off? Yes, he took a day off. Did Jesus take time for friendships? Yes, he did. And he got mocked for it. The legalists accused him of being a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of sinners. Oh, he can't be holy. People like him. He goes to parties. He can't be God. God's not funny or nice. God's like vegetables. People eat them because they're good for them, not because they enjoy them. You know? And that's how a lot of people view God. They think God's just like that. But Jesus lives a full life, and he completes what was given for him to do, all that was intended by the Father. Let me ask you this. Do you think you were meant to do more than Jesus? No. No, not at all. Are you so busy in your life that you have time for no one? See, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that God has works for us to do. When he saves us, he has certain things that you and I are supposed to do. This means there's a lot in our world to get done, but you only need to do what God calls you to do. Are you so busy being you that you have no time for the works that God intends for you? Again, what is the goal? Be close to Jesus. Be close to Jesus. That is the goal, always. So you work back from there and you realize, how do I live my life? And there are certain things that need to be taken off, certain things that need to be put on. So I'm going to kind of make this very practical for some of you. Uh, If you are a single unmarried guy in the room, raise your hand. Don't be afraid. Raise your hand. Single unmarried guy, raise your hand. Okay, here you go. We're going to make this sermon work for you this morning in a very practical way. All right? Okay, all right. Some of you guys, hopefully at some point in your life, would say, okay, I want to get married. I want to get married. That's a good thing. We can back that up from Scripture, okay? Because Genesis 2.18, God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. We know this is true. Because guys, when they're alone too long, they become really weird. They're like wallpaper their living room with NASCAR posters and sleep in Star Wars sheets and, and become a guild master in Warcraft. And they'll own like a car stereo worth more than their car. You know, something crazy like that. So God is okay with the man falling in love, getting married. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. So, what's the wisdom? How do you get there? So, where are you going to find that woman? Welcome to Element. Okay? Golly, that's where you're going to find that woman. Too many guys are out at the bar looking for that godly Proverbs 31 alcoholic woman doing the booty call. You know? No. Go to Element, you know? So there's a lot of great single ladies. All the single ladies, all the single ladies. And if you like it, you really should have put a ring on it. I saw the Saturday Night Live skit. I never actually listened to the real song, but that's all I got. Okay, so you you, you go there and you do that. So, So what else do you need to put a wise life together, guys? You need to work. You need to work. You need a job. This will sound crazy, all right? But there's a direct correlation between working and income. It's, it's amazing how that works. So you find a way that make, to make money that doesn't violate the law. So you need a career. Ask God, what are my skills and my abilities? So you go get some training, get some schooling in that. And, and if you get a job and you're not married, should you spend all your money? No, no, no. You should save your money. Because when you find that woman, you're going to have to somehow con her into thinking you are a catch. <laughs> so you're going to need flowers. You're going to need chocolate and all kinds of props for your disguise. It's like, woo! And then when you got her con and you got her liking you and all that, what do you got to do next, James? Buy her a ring! And a ring costs money. So you're going to need to save some money for that. And then you're going to probably want to move her into a house. Women like houses. They like, they like to nest. 
They like homes. So you're going to... Then they don't want kids. Kids cost money too. Ecclesiastes 10.19 says, A feast is made for laughter and wine makes life merry, but money is the answer for everything. <laughs> it's a great verse, right? You know, it's, it's not that Psalm is discounting God, but he's like, you know, money answers a lot of things. Solomon knows. Gotta need a house. I... I was meeting with this couple doing their premarital counseling, and they want eight kids. Eight kids. They're going to be like the Browns, you know? It's going to be Doug Brown's all, oh, my goodness, they don't know what they want. And I'm looking at them, I'm thinking, you're not going to get all eight kids in the Civic. You're going to need, like, an SUV or a van or a bus, you know, to get those kids around. So the goal, you know, if you, I want a wife that loves God. I, I want to love God. House, eight kids. You make the plan. You make the plan. And if, and if that's your goal, can you justify 12 hours a day playing video games? No, you can't. You can't. It's like, oh, what am I good at? I'm playing video games, snowboarding, hooking up my car stereo. This is, this is not good because your kids can't eat a car stereo or an Xbox or a snowboard. They can't eat those. That's what Paul is talking about. What pleases the Lord? Wise, not foolish, because the days are evil. So you don't do it like everybody else. You think of your goals. You have the wisdom to attain it. You see how practical that is? You're like, wow, that, it is so practical. Scripture's like that. You should read it sometime. It's really good. So what else pleases the Lord? You need to be around people. You know, small groups, communities, spiritual friendships. We were not intended to do life alone, so you get around people. Uh, you work your job because God made you to work. It is a blessing. It is not a curse. Even sometimes if you hate your job, you do it because it builds perseverance and patience. Now, there are some jobs out there, obviously, that purposely will drag you away. Like, oh, I sell crack. Or uh, I sell lap dances at the Spearmint Rhino. Well, maybe you should change jobs if, if, that's, if that's your job. Okay? And you might need a new one. But, you know, you work your job hard and well. Uh, you find ways to serve other people around you. You know, help put a, a playground together at the Good Samaritan Shelter. Uh, you invest time in those around you. Uh, and you spend time with God. You spend time with God. Don't misunderstand me, because our current Christian culture tells you that if you're really going to spend time with God and be really spiritual, you're going to go be a monk and, and live in the hills and not uh, interact with anybody else around you, or, or you're going to go be a missionary. I, I will tell you this. If you are a believer, you already do spend all your time with God. Because if God wasn't somewhere, then there wouldn't be there. Okay? That's, you and I exist because of God's graciousness and His kindness. You, know, uh, uh, you already are a missionary if you're a believer. The job you work, the neighborhood you live in, the family you, you lead. You are a missionary in whatever culture that you are in. You already are one. The point is getting to know God better by living as He calls us to live. So yes, you read your Bible, and yes, you pray continuously, while also being involved in the good works that God calls you to daily. Wisdom takes knowledge and lives it out. You know, knowledge without wisdom is like a marriage counselor who's getting a divorce. Knowledge with wisdom is a marriage counselor has a good marriage because they live it out in their own lives. So Paul says in verse 15 then, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. And so this is how wise people live. You make the most of the opportunities that come to you. I, I have one opportunity in my life that always haunts me. Uh, my wife and I, about uh, eight, nine years ago, could have bought this house for like $120,000. And I'm like... I'm just so nervous. I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I, I can't afford a thousand dollars a month for a house payment. <laughs> yes, you can, because <laughs> now it's 
a lot more than that. But, you know, I'm thinking, ah, I can't do it. And so I got really scared. And I could have had a very happy wife who was like, oh, I love you so much. Instead, you got me who was like, I don't know what to do. And we didn't buy it. And so every, it's kind of where my, bro, my brother lives right now. We'll drive by the house. My wife will be all, and I'm like, yes, I know. God sometimes provides opportunities in our lives, whether it's that or something else. There are certain jobs, certain relationships, learning opportunities you grab onto because once they're gone, they're gone. And God provides these things. I mean, if you are somebody who is looking to actually get married at some point, you should meet with someone who is married and actually looks like they have a decent marriage. Uh, I try to get James to meet with Eric, and every once in a while they, they get together and meet because I want James to have a good idea of what a marriage looks like. But as people, we get so full of what ifs. What ifs? I will tell you, Paul says, making the most of every opportunity. When God calls you to something, he's going to provide the opportunity and the means. But you must be wise, he says. Making, be, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So you got a bunch of questions for things in your own life. If you are involved in a relationship in your life and it's not going towards marriage, why? Why? If you waste all your money on lotto tickets and Slurpees, why? Why? You know, we, we do have time to do what God calls us to do, but we burn ourselves out chasing so many things out there that don't really matter. You know, if you, if you go to work, you know what you should do at work? Work. Simple. That's simple. When it's time to play, you know what you do? Play. Exactly. When it's time to rest, what do you do? Rest. You sleep, laugh, you take the moments God provides. That is wisdom. Some people are like, oh, I'm so tired all the time. i got so many things to do. Well, who committed you to all those things around you? Well, I'm up all night and I'm just so tired. You know, what were you doing? Oh, I was watching TV. What would you watch? Well, nothing's on. Exactly. Exactly. You know, my wife goes to school full time and she works every other weekend at the hospital right now. And I need to make sure that my time is open for her when she is available. If I spend my time sleeping when I should be working or playing when I should be working, when it comes time to play with her, I will be working and it will hurt my relationships. Now, sometimes I don't do this right. If you ask me half the time, you know, Aaron, what are you working on? I'd probably say hypocrisy because sometimes I don't do exactly how I should. But I'm trying to live the life that God calls me to. I am working forward to the goal. It's taking a long time. The goal is to be close to Jesus, live as he intends, maximizing those opportunities he places in our life. And so we laugh when we should laugh, we work when we should work, we sleep when we should sleep. And these things really do become possible. But I believe they become possible through God's Holy Spirit. It is his strength and his power because when we're honest, we know we can't do this on our own strength. In verse 18, Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. To me, this sounds kind of weird. It sounds like, don't get drunk, go to church. It's kind of, if you're single, that's like your options, right? You know, I'm drunk or I'm going to go to church. But what if it's like alcohol, not drunkenness, but like alcohol and church? Wouldn't that just be amazing? They're, alcohol and church, they're both good things in Scripture. They're both very good things. What Paul is saying is don't let alcohol lead you into sin and death, but let God's Spirit lead you to life. I mean, let me get this straight. The Bible never says drinking is a sin. It says drunkenness is. Much the same way that there's nothing wrong with eating, but gluttony is a sin. Some people drink so much to excess because they're trying to avoid all the things in their lives. They drink to forget, and then they get very, very depressed. Some people miss whole segments of their lives because they're just drinking too much. Oh, I fell asleep in California. I woke up in Georgia. I don't know what's going on. And you drink too much. You know, one day you're going to be so depressed when you listen to country music, driving a panel van with a mattress in the back. And you know, you know what that is? That's death. That's what, not just the country music, but I mean the whole thing. It's, it's death. 
Because it's sin. It is separating you from the life that God calls you to through His Spirit. God wants you to live new life. God wants His Spirit to lead you into life. A life that doesn't need to be avoided. A life of true strength and not weakness. A life of wisdom and not folly. A life of hope and not despair. A life of forgiveness and not sin. Cleansing. You know, we have a way that God calls us to be. And if your life doesn't look like it's following the goal, your life doesn't always have to be that way then. You can follow Christ. Your life can be made new because with God, all things are new. So you don't drink yourself into a stupor. You live the life God calls you to live. The, the words in Scripture, be filled with the Spirit, it's this Greek word picture. It's, it's like a sailboat, and, and the wind comes up. And if you're on a sailboat, what do you got to do to catch the wind? Unfurl the sails. Open the sails so you can catch the wind. John chapter 3, Jesus says, The Spirit is like wind. It is God's strength. It is His power that propels us where we need to go, to the dock, to the destination. Our goal, our part, is to be close to Jesus. So the question becomes, is your sail set? Are you open to the things the Spirit's trying to teach you? Are you growing further from sin? Are you growing less angry? Are you growing more full of life? Because the dock, the goal, the destination is never in question. The question is, is your sail set? And you will hear freaky things about the Spirit all the time, what it means to be filled with the Spirit. I mean, some people think the Holy Spirit makes you like an aerobic instructor. You scream and you jump up and down. It's like jazzercises, making a comeback. And it's called the Holy Spirit. You know? Be filled with the Spirit literally means to be moved and propelled by the Spirit of God. Up until this point, Paul has spoken about the Spirit, and this is one of his culminations. And you can't take this one thing and go, oh, you've got to look at everything else that he says. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying, be filled with the Spirit. Come on down, I'll smack you in the forehead and you'll roll over and, that, and that's what will happen. The context, the Spirit of God comes from God, not from men. So briefly, let me hit this. So how you can know from the book of Ephesians so far what Paul has said, if you are filled with the Spirit. Okay? Ephesians 1.13 says, Jesus died for your sins. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So first question is, are you a Christian? Have you given your life to Christ? Has Jesus saved you? Ephesians 1.17 says the Spirit of God instructs us so we can get to know God. So are you growing in your relationship with Christ? Ephesians 2.18 says we have access to the Father by the Son through the Spirit. So are you in prayer? Are you in prayer? Ephesians 3.5 says the Scripture writers were led by the Spirit. So are you studying your Bible? Are you studying the Scriptures? Uh, Ephesians 3.16 says the Spirit empowers us for service. So are you serving other people in ministry? Ephesians 4, 2 through 6, the Holy Spirit knits people together who believe into this entity called the church. So we have spiritual friendships. We have small groups. Do you have that with other believers? How do you know your sail is set? Do you pray, serve, love Jesus, spend time with others? Because that is the regular stuff of a healthy Christian life, of the Spirit working in and through us. It's how he works, spiritual progress by God's power and strength. You don't have to stand under your sail going, I see the goal and your boat goes nowhere because it is God's power and His strength that will blow your sail and move you to where He wants you to be because God wants His kids to be with Him. The only thing that stops that forward progress, Ephesians 4.30 tells you, is sin. And that grieves the Spirit of God because God's Spirit is trying to blow you and push you to the goal. And yet we fight against that and that will grieve God. When God calls us to repentance, it means that we simply stop going our own way and we turn and we go the way that God is calling us to go. And that is repentance. We open our sail, God blows where He will. And we stop thinking we're the most important thing in the universe and that we have all the answers. We realize that God does. And we trust Him for whatever He brings our way. And then we begin to grow very, very quickly. 
So you need wisdom to see the goal, the Holy Spirit to propel you there. And when you get there, three things happen. Mark, these are three marks of people, I believe, who are filled by the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5.19 says, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. So people who are led by the Spirit, they are connected to God, they actually sing. They sing. Now, some of you enjoy singing with God's people. Some of you, not so much. Uh, I think, and it's so funny, in the cartoon The Simpsons, there's a family called the Flanders. And they're a crazy family. They don't do what they do. But they, they have one thing that they, they sing together as a family. And I'm like, there you go. That, that's healthy. Everything else, not so much. But that thing's pretty good. You know, some of you guys are like, oh, I, you know, I hate to sing. I, I don't want to do it. But you will also go and listen to music during the day or, or most of the day. That's because God made us to love music. God is a composer of music. God is artistic. It is one of the reasons that we have oceans and trees and not little boxes that clean the air. You know, one of the, one of the definitions for glory actually relates to the word beauty. Beauty. And so God has made us to love music and beauty. In Zephaniah 3.17, it says that in the final day, God's going to sing over his people. I cannot imagine when God puts on a rock concert what it looks like, but it's going to be amazing. Genesis chapter 1 says that we are made in the image of God. So the first words you ever see Adam speak to his bride are words of song. And I know it's kind of, it's kind of sad for a lot of you know, guys because if you're not a musician, it seems like chicks always just dig the musician. And I'm not talking rock band with five buttons. You know? I'm talking like you know, real musicians. You know, that's, and that's kind of the thing. Chicks kind of dig that. And it goes all the way back, I think, to Eve. She's had a tough day, first, her first day. She's created. She's naked. She goes to meet her husband for the first time. And what does he do? He sings to her. Single dudes, get that. Okay? He sings to her. And it's a beautiful moment. I mean, a guy could be illiterate and homeless, but he plays the guitar, chicks are going to dig him. We, we love music. God's made us that way. God's people come out of Egypt and slavery and bondage, and what do they do? They sing. Go to the book of Revelation. At least 10 to 14 new songs are written in the book of Revelation. Heaven is about a concert, a feast, a party, good food, good music, good people, good choice wine, all the best things. No sin. That's a party. You know who ruins a party? It's a crazy dude that shows up, drinks too much, wants to cuss and pick fights and pick up on your wife or girlfriend. That's the guy that ruins a party. And you know what? He's not at God's party. Woo. Unless God changes him first. Then he's at the party. You know, it seems like singing about Jesus is the only thing that we as a people can do together. If I tried to get you guys to sing about anything else, you would hate me. Let's sing about your jobs. You'd be like, I'm going to punch you in the face. You know? It's like, so we don't want to sing about that? Well, let's sing about your health. Well, I'm not very healthy. I've got some friends in the hospital. Okay, let's sing about your hair. Falling out of my head, coming out of my ears. You know, it's, it's like, we don't want to sing about that. Okay, you know, it's, sing about money. It's like two of you would be like, money, it's the truth. You know, and everybody else would be like, can I have some money? <laughs> We're people who can sing about Jesus because it's something we all can agree upon. He saved us. He redeemed us. He has changed us. And that is something to actually sing about. Verse 20, he says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we also, being marked by the Spirit, we become a thankful people. And you don't need to be like a spiritual weirdo about this. It's not, oh, I got fired, praise the Lord, or my dog bit me, thank you, Jesus. You know, it's, it's not like that. There are hard circumstances in your life. And what is the goal? Be close to Jesus. Exactly. And if that's the goal, you know, you may, oh, I lost my job, but I am seeking Jesus, and I've never prayed like this before. It could be a good thing. You know, maybe your marriage is having a tough time and you will both, you and your wife or your husband will both have to get close to Jesus for it to work out so it can become a good thing. 
you know, maybe your health is bad, but you realize that Jesus suffered on your behalf. And you realize that this can bring you closer to him. Everything in life has something redeemable in it, something terrible and tragic. But it doesn't have to be all that there is if your goal is Jesus. And the third thing, so God's people sing, they are thankful, and they submit to each other in Christ. Verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Essentially what this means is people who believe are easier to get along with. They're easier to get along with. They're flexible. Not to sin, you know, but, but easier going. I mean, some of you may not like all the music we do here at Element. Actually, I know some of you don't. But you realize that the goal is to help people get closer to Jesus, to reach people, and you realize other people like a lot of the music that we do. So you come because you're bought into the vision, and you enjoy that. You know, and that is a mark of maturity. It says, I want people to come to know Christ even if I don't like the way this is done or that is done, but I'm bought into the vision. You know, thank you if that's actually you. That's, again, a mark of maturity and the Spirit working in you. You don't always have to dominate and have your way. It's not like, oh, we're going to lunch, and if we don't do Thai, there will be war. And I'm going to drive, and you're not, and I'd let you drive anyway because you can spend your gas because that'd be great. You walk out in the parking lot and someone's leaning against your car talking to somebody else. You don't freak out because, oh, look, you got a butt smudge on my car. I'm so mad at you. You God's people should know how to lighten up because we realize what is eternal, other people and God, and what is temporary, everything else. And we focus on what is eternal. So God's people should sing and know how to have a good time. They should be thankful and are nice and easy to get along with. They do what is best for others because that's what God calls us to. So the goal, be close to Jesus. problem is our folly and our sin. The motivation comes out of not wanting to end up like everybody else because we want to do it God's way. And the way out is asking, what does God want? Filled with the Spirit, a joyful people, having a motivation to glorify God in our lives. Wisdom, Very, very practical. Today, I will bring you to communion like I do every single week. And in communion, I ask you, before you come and take it, that you would ask God, what do you want for me in my life? What is my goal? How do I grow closer to you? And then you work back and you find a way to get there from where you are today. And I will tell you, we, we will help you if you need that. If you're like, there's just no way I can come up with a plan. And, and this, we will help you. I'll get you in touch with some elders, some deacons. They'll meet with you, and we can do this. Because the goal is always to be close to Jesus. What I really love about communion is that God's goal, saving people. And then you look at communion, and that is the summation of that goal. God gets to the finish line in communion. Because it reminds us of Christ's body, which was broken for us. That's why we break that cracker. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice, and it reminds us of his blood that was shed for us so that God could bring salvation to all people. God does what he says he is going to do, and he follows through. And then in, in Scripture, it says that he who began a good work in you will complete it. You can trust God to complete the work he begins in you. Communion reminds us of that. So we will worship God through communion. We'll worship God through song. The band's going to come up. They're going to do a couple songs. And we invite you, as they do these songs, to spend a little time in prayer and say, Okay, God, help me to reach the goal. Let me know what that is so I can work my life to get there. Uh, We're going to worship God, as I said, through prayer. And if you guys need someone to pray with you, there'll be deacons and elders in the back. If you're like, I have no idea how to even start getting towards this goal, pray with them. They would love to help you. They would love to help you. Introduce you to Jesus, because that's the best place to start, and then we can you know, move on from there.
we're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall and in the very back. And we give simply because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. That's why we give you the opportunity every week. And we worship God through fellowship. They'll pull out all the snacks that they hid. And they'll set them out for you guys. Because honestly, uh, getting to know each other and living life with each other is a mark of the Spirit. And so we shouldn't just try and run away and not connect with other people. We should connect with others. God calls us to. Uh, at, the end of, at the end of May, uh, we're going to start our small groups back up. And we will have sign-up sheets and stuff. And you guys can start signing up and hope we will plug you into small groups at that point again. God calls us to many wonderful, great things in our lives. And we are simply people who want to follow our own goals and not follow Him so much. But we need to get rid of so much that we chase and simply follow Christ. Because when we do and our goal is Jesus, everything comes into focus. Everything makes sense. The goal is Jesus. Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would help us to be a practical people living in practical ways. God, so many times we we are told that, uh, you know, to be truly spiritual, we get rid of all physical things. But you made us physical and spiritual creatures. And so I ask that we would live in wisdom in the physical ways that you call us to. Father, it is your power and your strength that can make this difference in us because we as a people cannot do this on our own as much as we try. So have us be a people who learn to sing, remembering all that you have done to redeem and save us. Have us be a people who learn how to be thankful for all circumstances, especially the ones that we don't understand. And have us learn to be a people that realize what is eternal and what is temporary. So that we can be those who are easier going and want the best for everyone around us. God, I ask that we'd be a people who do not need to get our way because we are following you. And you are having your way. Have us be a people that are honest about all that you have done in our lives and how you have changed us and made us new. Father, thank you for sending your Son. Jesus, thank you for dying. Spirit, thank you for making us into the people that we were meant to be. Have us surrender all of ourselves to you this morning so we practically live the life that you call us to. Amen.